0: Hey, good morning. We're gonna go ahead and pick it up in the Gospel of Mark, which we started uh, <clears throat> a couple of days ago. We went through the first few verses, and uh, we're gonna go ahead and dive right back in where we left off. So, you know, grab your cup of coffee, open your Bible to Mark chapter one, and let's uh, let's jump back in. Um, again, this was the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the beginning of the story of the good news uh, of the Gospel, that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who would pay for our sins had come. And uh, the first thing that Mark does after introducing the gospel is introduce us to a person named John the Baptist, who is the forerunner of the Messiah. He is the one who has been sent prior to the coming of Messiah to help people, much in the same way that when a king was coming to town, uh, the people of that town would clear the way, the debris off the roads, make the paths straight so the king's entrance would be unencumbered. In the same way, John had come to tell people to prepare their hearts in that way, to make sure that nothing would stand in the way of Messiah coming and ultimately having free passage and entrance uh, to the very hearts of who they are, to the very core of their being, to let him all the way in kind of a thing. And so uh, that said, we're introduced to John the Baptist, and we continue to look at him today as we move into verse 4. Verse 3 ended with a quote coming out of Malachi and the idea that uh, the Messiah, the forerunner was coming and therefore make his pasture. I'm sorry, uh, Malachi and also in Isaiah as well. And so uh, here in verse four, it continues. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And then all the land of Judah, uh, Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist And he ate locusts and wild honey and he preached saying there comes one after me who is mightier than i whose sandal strap i'm not worthy to stoop down and loose i indeed baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the holy spirit and so john here is baptizing in a region on the jordan river and depending on where that specifically was located when it says that people came out to him uh, don't think of it like, uh, you know, uh, here where I live in Franklin, Tennessee, there is a river called the Harpeth River. And right near a school nearby, the Harpeth runs behind it. That's kind of like a creek at that point. And so uh, when when we, uh, uh, if I were to say I'm going off to the Harpeth, that wouldn't be a big deal. We walk the dogs down by that way all the time. It's, it's an easy thing to get to. This is not like that. If, uh, if people from Judea and Jerusalem were coming out to him, in particular from Jerusalem, depending on where he was on the Jordan River baptizing, that might have been about a 20-mile trek. Uh, so that was a pretty big deal. Remember, they didn't just hop in a car, call a lift, or an Uber or something. They had to walk or be on horseback or on uh, camelback or something to that effect, donkeyback, something like that. Or they would walk. 20 miles is a long way to go it's a little bit of a long way to go in a car imagine having to walk there this is you know essentially taking some real effort and that I think is the point is that John was in uh, John was out there baptizing and people were coming to him in droves from a very long distance exerting a lot of effort to get there now it would be one thing if we said oh they were making their way out there to go see some miraculous thing but there was no miraculous thing Uh, There wasn't some big draw in terms of like we might think of it today. You know, you might drive 20 miles to go to a concert. You might drive 20 miles uh, to go to an event of some kind that's exciting or whatever. John was baptizing and he was baptizing people who were ready to confess their sins, to have a change of mind and heart and receive Messiah to acknowledge that they were in fact unworthy of his coming. And and they were willing to travel 20 miles to get there just to be reminded of that and be baptized and to be given sort of this sense of a fresh start as they await the Messiah's arrival and he's at the door. And so it was a pretty big deal for people to do this. Uh, As a matter of fact, turn to Luke chapter three. Hopefully you do have your Bible with you, unless you're driving the car or something, then please don't drive by faith, drive by sight. But uh, if you are in range of a Bible and can open it up, let me invite you to do that to Luke chapter 3, where Luke records the same event. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each record the baptism of Jesus and the subsequent temptation that followed right after. Um, And uh, and Luke here is the most expansive in explaining the scene, so I wanted to look at that really quick. Now, here in chapter 3 of Mark, it says that in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being the governor of Judea, Herod the Tetrarch being in Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Iturea, in the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius Tetrarch of Abilene, and he goes on to speak of Annas and Caiaphas, high priests and such. Um, one quick aside about Luke. One of the beauties of Luke's gospel and the book of Acts, the two writings by Luke in the New Testament, is that he is exquisitely precise about placing things in uh giving us a setting for things to help us get an idea of when these things took place not just in the story of christ but in history Uh, by naming all of these leaders and the period of time he's talking about he's both bearing witness to being an eyewitness to these things and he's also putting a place in time where they took place so if you're investigating the gospel to find out whether it can be believed if it's true if in fact what we have in the scriptures is accurate, you can not only put it in a place and time, but you can read other writers from around that same time who reference some of the same people. It's a great, great thing to do if you're a skeptic and you're wondering about the uh, about whether or not you can trust the Word of God as being what we Christians claim it is, the Word of God. Now that all said, I'm gonna go ahead and jump ahead um, and uh, down to verse seven. Uh, Luke here is recorded similarly to Mark about quoting uh, in quoting the Old Testament from Malachi and, uh, and such. And in verse seven, it goes on to describe uh, his his baptizing. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Now in Matthew, we find out that some of these are Pharisees. Religious leaders had come out to be baptized as well. And and, uh, and John here calls them a brood of vipers, a den of snakes, essentially. Uh, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children for, out of Abraham from these stones. Interesting, later on, Jesus, when they were uh, welcoming him, the people were decreeing him as a uh, or uh, 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 calling out to him as Messiah as he rode into Jerusalem. Uh, the Pharisees told them to be quiet, and Jesus said that if they were quiet, the stones themselves would cry out. Uh, the stones, interestingly, subtle though it is, they... Uh, they're pointed to a number of times in the Gospels in some ways. Don't know what you want to do with that, but there you go. Um, so he said, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And don't say we have Abraham as our father. In other words, you can't hide behind the fact that ethnically you are a Jew. There is more to it than that when it comes to being right with God. I say to you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? And he answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. And then tax collectors also came to be baptized. And he said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Tax collectors made a living, in large part, based on how much they could collect above what was due them. And so they would essentially extort people. Uh, And John is saying, No longer do that. Uh, Likewise, verse 14, the soldiers asked him, now we've got Romans out there asking as well, what shall we do? And so he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. And now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether or not he was the Christ, John answered and said to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations he preached to the people. I like reading Luke's account of this as well, because he, again, is a little more expansive in describing the scene. There are those that have come, again, at some great distances, to come and to hear John preach his message of repentance and to be baptized by him, that they might be ready in preparing themselves for the coming of Messiah. And so they're asking him, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Uh, and so he tells them, he, he lays out some things for them that, that basically demonstrate the genuineness of their desire to be different. Okay, They're not saved or something like that by John's baptism. They're not saved by the works that he recommends them to do. But instead, he's talking about things that demonstrate their true, genuine, authentic desire to welcome Messiah into their lives. Now, who is this one who's to come? John says he's mightier than I. By the way, repentance, when he says repent, that speaks of a change of mind. There are no works involved in repentance. Repentance begins with a change of mind or change of heart. And the works follow that. I mean, not to say people don't do works trying to uh, uh, trying to sort of get to that place, but the idea is that repentance is something that we that we do, but it's something that really is in the mind, in the heart. It's a change of mind and a change of heart, and therefore, works worthy of repentance are those works that ultimately demonstrate that you have have made that change of mind or heart. Uh, more on that as we make our way through the Gospels, um, but. Uh, Who is this one that John says is mightier than I, whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to unloose? He will come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I'm baptizing with water. He'll baptize with the Holy Spirit. And Mark just stops there, but Luke includes the the words and fire. Well, John is baptizing with water, uh, which is a practice that Jesus himself would invite his disciples to participate uh, or to, to not only practice, but ultimately to propagate as one of the what we would call sacraments one of the two that jesus instituted baptism and in the last supper but he would tell his disciples at the end of matthew's gospel or at the end of the story um, as as uh you know uh, at the end of the narrative um go and bap, uh, uh go and make disciples of the nations baptizing them in the name of the father son and holy spirit and teaching them to observe all the things that i've taught you uh and so uh to do this among the nations and so Um, The idea of baptizing in water is a very biblical and Christian thing. But the question is, does the baptism in water save you? And the New Testament would bear out the fact that it does not. Uh, The water baptism is a sign that we have had a change of heart and mind, whether it was John's prior to Jesus coming or whether it was after Jesus coming. It's not that the baptism saves you, uh, but it does help identify you. In other words, when you get baptized... When you have in fact repented and you've received Christ in now in our New Testament sense uh, of being saved, what it means is that we, are, uh, we have had that inward change and baptism is sort of an outward expression of that inward change. And so we do that out of obedience, but not out of the sense that that's what saves us. You're already saved. If you, if you get baptized, it should be because you already got saved. Uh, otherwise, all you're really doing is getting wet. And so, uh, but this idea of baptism with water is what John came with. But he says uh, this one to come is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit first. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that uh, in the New Testament, kind of quickly, in the first place, a baptism uh, in the Holy Spirit speaks of this idea or being baptized by the Holy Spirit first and foremost, speaks of identification. All believers have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. Jesus would speak about this in John chapters uh, 14, 15, 16, and he would talk about how the Holy Spirit would be with you but he would also be in you as believers. Uh, there is a secondary uh, element that comes to the idea of baptism in the Holy Spirit. That then speaks of the idea of the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. Uh, in, the, in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 1, uh, as, as, was, as they were instructed by Jesus, they waited in Jerusalem to be endued with power on high before they went out to, to fulfill the Great Commission. And sure enough, in the upper room, there came this point where the Holy Spirit literally came upon them like tongues of fire, and they burst from the scene, uh, equipped and powered by the Holy Spirit for the ministry they were about to begin. Um, And so, and then Paul goes on to describe the various gifts, both in 1 Corinthians and Romans. Uh, You could argue in Ephesians chapter four, there is this element of gifts that uh, Christ has given the church uh, through the various ministries that he's established. Uh, And so the the power of the Holy Spirit, or being baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaks of those two things. Here, he's speaking certainly at at the very least of the idea of identifying. It's that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, not just water, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you as believers. And also in fire. Now, there's some uh, debate about what exactly is in view when he says, and fire. Later on in the same passage here, he speaks about the chaff being thrown into the unquenchable fire, and so it may speak of judgment. Uh, those who don't believe. Uh, fire may speak of the fire as as we saw in the uh, like tongues of fire upon the disciples. Um, but in any case, the idea here has something to do, oftentimes when fire is referred to, it speaks of a purging or a cleansing kind of a thing. And that likely is what John has in view. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You'll be set apart and cleansed kind of a thing, maybe what is in view in what he's saying. One other uh, thing he'll talk about here that I'll make mention of is that he says uh, that the winnowing fan is in his hand already. Uh, Separating the wheat from the chaff, this idea that um, in a threshing floor, which was generally very high on a high hilltop where the winds could blow, uh, could be felt, you would take this, what essentially was kind of like a rake, and you would dig it into this wheat that you had harvested and you'd throw it up in the air. And the winds as they blew by would take the light, fluffy, chaffy stuff and take it all and blow it away down further down the hill, but the wheat was heavier and it would fall to the ground. So in other words, at some point, what John is saying is that uh, the Lord is coming ultimately to separate the wheat from the chaff, to separate that which has got weight and that which does not, that which does not belong. And so back in Mark chapter three, uh, after speaking of this baptism that would come and the baptism that he himself was doing, John that is, after this in verse nine, it says that it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Interesting that Jesus would come and be baptized. Now, John's baptism was one of repentance, right? Clearly, Jesus had nothing to repent of. He was without sin. Later on, he would even invite his accusers to to, to point to him and say, Which one of you can truly accuse me of sin? Um, so why did he come down? Why did he come and be baptized by John? Well, uh, it's not, again, it's not totally clear, but it may very well be that he simply was identifying with those he had come to save. Uh, he's not only God in the flesh, but he's God in the flesh, and so he is both God and fully man. And it may be that he was coming to identify himself with those he came to save. Uh, but he came down and was baptized. As a matter of fact, in the other accounts, John is sort of hesitant about this. But Jesus says, let it be done to fulfill all righteousness. Uh, and so John baptizes him. And as Jesus comes out of the water, baptism by the way was not by sprinkling, but it was by immersion. And, and as John uh, had Jesus go down in the water, Jesus comes up out of the water, the heavens open and a voice comes from heaven as a, as the Holy Spirit like a dove in the form of a dove uh, comes down and alights on him. And this voice from heaven says, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, and so, There is this picture of the Trinity there at the moment of Jesus' baptism, where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all present in the moment, visibly so or audibly so, as the case may be. Um, But there is this identifying of Jesus as being God's own beloved Son. Now, those who were there, it would seem to indicate that there were those that would have heard it there, Uh, not just necessarily John the Baptist, but... Uh, It would seem that um, people who were there uh, at that moment, whoever might have been there at the time, would have heard this. And that likely would have had something to do with those that began to follow him as he started to go amongst the countryside. Now the next thing he will do, uh, and we'll pick this up next time, uh, the next thing that happens, both in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see the next thing, uh, Luke includes a genealogy in there, uh, but uh, in between, but the next thing that takes place after the baptism is that Jesus goes off into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And we will talk more about that next time. But one last thing I'll say about John the Baptist here before we finish for today. John's ministry was to point people to Jesus. And his message was was essentially this, prepare your heart because because the Lord is coming soon. Now that's a message that essentially is at the heart of our message today as well, although it's slightly different in one sense because we can say that the Savior has come and he has accomplished the work he came to do in his first coming. He died on the cross for our sins. He paid for our sins. He paid the debt of sin that we owed and ultimately he took that away. And then he rose from the dead after he died. He rose from the dead the third day and he is coming again so our call to those around us to the world uh, uh, that 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 is out there as part of our great commission that continues today is to invite people to come and prepare their hearts for the coming of the lord and that's why jesus would tell his disciples to go into all the world and baptize in the name of the father and make disciples baptizing in them in the name of the father son and holy spirit not just converts but disciples Uh, go out there and bring people to a place where they become genuine followers of Jesus, reminiscent of the same commitment that those who were willing to go and follow John out these 20 miles out to the Jordan River. Uh, Similarly, the idea here is not one of just coming with sort of this sense of wanting to be part of the crowd like the Pharisees might have, this shallow sort of just being part of what's going on, but no, instead something much deeper, something much more uh, profoundly uh, life and eternity changing, and that is a genuine commitment to this one Uh, for whom we have prepared our hearts to allow in. And so we make disciples of the nations, and we ourselves continue to grow as disciples, those of us who are followers of his. Uh, And so this is what the Christian faith is all about. And as we've begun to sort of page through, or not really page through yet, we're still on page one, essentially, of Mark's gospel, but as we make our way through the gospel, the desire, as we look at the life of Christ, and as we consider these things and consider him, that our commitment to him would just deepen and grow and flourish, that our relationship with him would deepen and grow and flourish, and that we would go out and and ultimately be lights in the world around us and even make disciples ourselves that follow him. That, like John, we would not point people to ourselves, but beyond ourselves, ultimately to the one whose sandals we are not worthy to unloose. And so let me pray us out, we'll meet again next time as we continue. Father, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you for the good news that Jesus has come, and he's paid for our sins. And as we look uh, at this, at the story as Mark records it, that, Father, our lives, our hearts, our minds, our thinking, our way of being would just completely be changed and transformed for having spent time with the Lord Jesus himself in these pages. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit who has filled us as believers. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit empowers us for the works of ministry as well. So take the things that we learn, take the things that we take in, and and just we pray the Holy Spirit would help these things then to come out as we go out into the world around us, living as believers, as followers, as ambassadors of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray that you bless it as we just continue. And Father, we look forward to spending time opening your word again. In Jesus' name, amen.